welcome to The Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Let's read from Proverbs chapter 23. When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat. If you are given to appetite, do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacies, for he is like one who is inwardly calculating. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the good sense of your words. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. Apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with a rod, you will save his soul from Sheol. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of Yahweh all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Hear, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Listen to your father who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth, and do not sell it. Buy wisdom, instruction, and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For a prostitute is a deep pit, and adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things, and your heart per utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. This is the word of the Lord. Bit of an odd ending for a Bible chapter, but we'll come back to that. So we start out verse 1. Uh, really, verses 1 through 8 are a warning against how we eat, whether it's in front of the king or in front of a stingy man. Essentially, their motives being called into question here. So when you eat before the king, be careful. If you have an appetite, that is, you want to gouge yourself on all this food, instead put a knife to your throat. That'll make you stop, right? Because 
When you swallow, the, your throat bulges out and the knife would cut. So don't. It would be better to be cut. It would be better to die than it would be to, to fall prey to what's going on for this king. His food is deceptive. The Lutheran Study Bible suggests this is because the king is attempting to test you and to see if you will eat with moderation. So it's a test. Maybe. This could also, however, be the king attempting to sway you, right? A not good king to sway you to do whatever it is he desires for you to do. Do not toil for such things. Really, it's almost a rejection of the climbing of the ladder idea. We gotta climb the corporate ladder. We gotta see what's at the top. We want what's at the top. That's what Solomon seems to be fighting against and rejecting in this. Don't seek the top of the ladder. Don't seek the king's favor. Simply live an honorable life. And if such favor is bestowed on you, fine. Thanks be to God. Use that opportunity to speak of God to your neighbor but don't go chasing it because it will not endure. Right, verse 5, when your eye lights on it, it is gone. You eat the food, it's gone. That's all there is. It goes away, sprouting wings flying away toward heaven. Don't eat the bread of the stingy man or desire his delicacies. His heart is not with you. He is inwardly calculating. He's planning something. So avoid such things. Verse 9, don't speak in the hearing of a fool, for he's just going to despise your words. The opposite of this would be the idea that as Christians, we do go to those who are foolish, who don't know Christ, and we share Christ's word with them. They will probably despise that word, but we share it nonetheless. Verse 10, don't move an ancient landmark. We saw that yesterday in chapter 22, verse 28. That is theft. You're stealing because you're changing a boundary line. They used ancient landmarks that had been on properties for generations to mark whose property was whose, the border. Don't go into the fields of the fatherless. So those who have very little next to nothing don't steal from the poor, basically, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you, which is literally the last thing that we want to have God be against us. So this is a family conversation. Whose side do we want God to be on on the last day? Do we want him to be on our side or do we want him to be against us? Can we ever be certain that God is on our side? Second question, the follow-up question. The answer to that is yes because of Christ, because of Christ's promises. He died on the cross to forgive your sins. All of your sins, all of my sins, all of our sins, forgiven in the blood of Christ. Almighty God has given his son to die for you and for his sake forgives you of all your sins. For his sake, Christ already died. He already paid the penalty for your sins. There's no longer any reason to hold them against you. Such would be to make Christ's death in vain. He died for you. You know it. You trust it. You love him. You thank him for it. It is yours. 
Satan can't take that away. He tries. He tries to make you think you're still guilty of your sins. He tries to hold those things against you. He tries to use them to tear you down. But you have been forgiven. You live in the forgiveness of Christ. And so when we come to the judgment throne someday, when we come to enter paradise, Christ will be for us, not against us. He keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. John 3.16 God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God is faithful, even though we fail. Verse 12 and, and others in the text here, similar to the whole book, apply your heart to instruction, your ear to words of knowledge, listen to wisdom, gain wisdom, meditate on it day and night. Verse 13 and 14, very much so about discipline and contrary to our own culture. Do not withhold discipline from a child. Striking him with a rod will not kill him. It will save him. Is the picture of the text. It will save him from Sheol. In the earthly sense, it will keep him from being foolish, from doing the, the terribly foolish, dumb things that would lead to his destruction because you've taught him not to. But on the other hand, the discipline also is going to guard his soul from Sheol, sorry, had to do it with the word pair there, the rhyme, from hell. As this wisdom is, throughout the book, wisdom is about Jesus. So we want to teach our children the faith. And part of discipline is showing them that the way of sin is not right. And they have to be uh, curbed away from their sins. They have to be shown the light of God's word. Our culture today absolutely despises discipline. And I think those two things go hand in hand. Remember, discipline and discipling, right? Write them down next to each other. They're almost identical, only missing the one letter at the end. They share a root. To discipline is to train, is to make a disciple. Our culture does not want to be trained. It does not want to be discipled. It wants to go on in its rebellion against its creator. But that rebellion only leads to destruction. Now, again, that said, if you were to beat a child with a rod today, even seeking to discipline a child, you could get punished for that legally, I think, in probably many of the states in this culture. So we do have to find ways to discipline our children. Verse 15, my son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. This is going to just jump down to verse 24. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 speaks this way also, basically that we should respect our leaders, obey our leaders, uh, not make it difficult for them to lead us because they're someday going to have to give an account to God for how they led us. And we should seek to make that easier for them to do rather than harder. Part of loving our neighbor. So your father and mother have to give an account someday to God for how they raised you, how they disciplined you, how they taught you the faith in Christ. Let them be glad. Let them rejoice that you have heard it, learned it. Let them rejoice to get to see you in paradise together someday. 
Verse 16, the same, my inmost being exults when your lips speak what is right. To hear your child speak of Jesus, to confess their faith, is one of the most beautiful things in this world. It really is. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of Yahweh all the day. There is much our heart's envy in this world. Our hearts are still corrupted, still chasing after the old Adam and wanting to do the things of of our sinful nature. Be cautious. Be on your guard. Keep God's word close. Read it. Meditate on it. What does it read? Mark, learn, and inwardly digest it from the ancient collect of the church. Don't chase after sin. It's not worth it. It's not good. Verse 18, surely there is a future. Your hope will not be cut off. A great family conversation just to remind them of the gospel. What is our future? What is our hope? Our future is paradise with Christ, our Savior. And he is our hope, really. I mean, he's made a promise. And he keeps his promises. We get to live with him forever. Sins forgiven, sorrow and death no more. We will be immortal, imperishable, glorified in his presence. Verse 19, again, my son, be wise. Hear, direct your heart in the way. John 14, verse 6, a little foreshadow there. I am the way, the truth, and the life, the words of Jesus. Avoid drunkards and gluttons because their way leads to poverty as they consume all the resources rather than share them. We're not here to eat, drink, and be merry as though that's all there is to life. We're here to love others and to share and to be generous. This is a snare that leads to destruction in verse 21. Verse 22, again, listen to your father who gave you life. Do not despise your mother. Verse 23, buy truth and do not sell it. So we should be seeking to grow in truth and wisdom, instruction and understanding. We should not be seeking to shrink in it. And this is almost pictured like the marketplace, right? The transaction. Acquire these. Don't depart from them. That's not to say that we shouldn't actually then turn around and teach and give that instruction to others as well. And it's okay to sell that, right? It's okay if you have the opportunity to teach a skill, for example, to go ahead and and have that paid, right, to learn that skill from you. That's okay. But what this is getting at, I think, is the, we want to grow in wisdom. We don't want to shrink in wisdom. We don't want to lose any of it. Verse 26, again, yet again, verse, I don't know, like fourth, fifth time in the chapter already. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes observe my ways. The, the cry, the declaration from the father that his son would follow in his steps to, to see all of this, to trust, to trust in the wisdom. And we know that to be to trust in Christ. Verse 27, again, the prostitute brought back into the text. We saw this yesterday in verse 14. Prostitute is a deep pit. Whether you want to take that as death or hell, it can be both. The adulterous, a narrow well. You would not want to fall down into the well. So these are trap, destruction. She lies in wait like a robber, increases traitors among mankind. 
that traitors because adultery is a crime against your neighbor. That's pretty much it. Uh, we, we traitor, we betray our neighbor. We also betray God as this breaks his commandments. Verse 29, basically, who's in a bad spot? Woe, sorrow, strife, complaint, cause, uh, sorry, wounds without cause, redness of eyes. That seems to be, however, connected to verse 30. Those who are tarrying long over wine, that is the drunkard. These things come upon the drunkard, they complain because they, they miss out on things. They have sorrow and woe because they're broke, having drunk it all. They have strife because, well, drunkenness brings conflict. And if you have a, a loving family that would seek to turn you from your drunkenness, you're going to push back against that, the redness of eyes. So anyway, um, we have this drunken idea. Do not look at wine when it's red and sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. Its end bites like a serpent. Your eyes will see strange things. That's the point where you're drunk. So is it okay to drink wine? Yes. Don't get drunk. Moderation on this one. Don't let someone else be in control of you. See, your eyes see strange things. Your heart utters perverse things. This is what happens with drunkenness. You're not in control. Either the sinful nature, the world, or the devil is. None of those are good options. We give ourselves to the Lord, not to the enemy. The one who is drunk, verse 34, has no idea what he's doing. That's basically the gist here, the idea of the one who lies down in the midst of the sea uh, or on top of the mast. You're not supposed to lay on the mast, right? You're supposed to actually open it up, use it, let the, the wind push the sails and move the ship. Not going to happen too much if you've got it lowered and you're laying on top of it like a blanket. Not helpful. This is the novice sailor, the rookie. And he may not make it back. Verse 35, this chapter ends with the drunkard waiting to awake from his slumber so he can drink again. Almost points to the idea of alcoholism. There's not really much on alcoholism in Scripture. Certainly alcohol, the conversations about actually good use and negative use of it. But alcoholism, not as much. That's simply the idea instead of self-control is the opposite, that we would be self-controlled. So, the other drink we want to have another drink would be Christ's body and blood, the Lord's Supper. That That is something that we can want to drink again, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, as our Lord has said. But yeah, to simply live your life for another beer, you're not living for Christ. It's not a life to live. There is no life apart from Christ. So we seek wisdom, not the bottle.